0: I have a tank top. It says on it, free hugs. I bought this tank top to spite a certain person who also wore this tank top, and I said, you probably shouldn't wear a tank top like that. And so I bought it, not knowing all the time when I was wearing it, that people would actually come and hug you. So one day I'm wearing this in Canada, of course. As I'm wearing this shirt, I'm walking around, And this giant dude just walks up to me with his arms out like this. And he's walking towards me. I'm like, I'm like shrinking back. He's like, there's no way. He's like, no, he is. He's coming out and he's like coming for me. And I'm like terrified. And he's like, your shirt, it says free hugs. And I went, oh, oh, wait, come back. Come back. and I give him a hug? It was very freaky. Now, If you have a shirt like this, which you should not, but let's just say you do, never wear it when you are in the ghetto in Brooklyn. And this is why. Because once upon a time, I was driving to Brooklyn and I was wearing said tank top. Why? I don't really know, but I still wear it from time to time. And as I was at this gas station, you know, it's self-serve there, uh, which means that you actually have to pump the gas yourself. But there's a homeless man who was trying to make some money off people. So he was pumping the gas for them, washing their windows, whatever. This guy comes up to me, really shady, a person you would never like. This person just, like, he smelled bad. He's a person you did not want to be around. You figured, I'm in the projects. This is not a good place to be. I need to get my gas and get out of here. Comes up to me, starts a conversation. Hey, man, let me just take care of that. One. Oh, nice car, this is a great, what kind of car is this? Oh, free hugs, and then just goes for it. I'm like, ah, you know, I was overtaken. I was just, I forgot I was wearing the stupid shirt. And so I don't wear that shirt in the projects. Why am I telling you all this? And what in the world does this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus, you might ask? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Let's go to the book of John. Um, here's what you need to know. If you don't know, the reason why I was so surprised and shocked is because I did not know what was written. And in the same way, if you don't know what's, (laughs) this is so bad. (laughs) If you do not know what is written in the word of God, you will not know what to expect. That was probably the worst transition I've ever made from an analogy into the text, but that's okay. I can't believe I just said that. Jesus was crucified, we learned last week, and in this chapter, he is about to rise again. And as he's about to rise again, his disciples, his followers, his women followers, everyone was not expecting him to rise from the dead. And we'll see why as we read a couple of these verses. And in fact, it says in verse 9, For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes, it says. There is a danger in not knowing the scriptures. And because of that, they were weeping, they were crying, not actually realizing. Like, we have to put ourselves back in the position of the disciples in their day. They did not expect a rising Messiah. They figured once Jesus died, he was a failure And in fact, when uh, Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, you remember him talking to the followers of Jesus, and they didn't know they were walking with Jesus. They said, we had hoped that this man would have been the Messiah. We had hoped. They had lost all of their hope. They had started to despair. They figured that maybe this this wasn't really working out. Well, let's go to verse 1 first, and then we'll get to that point. So it says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. You see, John the Apostle sees all these links when he's talking about um, the things that he describes. It's not just that the fact that it was dark, but what he's saying here is they were shrouded in a cloud of darkness in their minds as well. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter... And to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. The reason why they're so concerned is because it was very common to have grave robbers in those times because grave robbers could take the, the, the materials that you use to, to wrap the dead bodies and they were really expensive. You could sell them for a lot of money. And so they, they were so concerned because it takes about 20 people to move the stone. It's not like it just moved by itself. So the stones roll away. The body is gone. The tomb is empty. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I think it's kind of funny. It's like John's describing. He's like, so Peter and I were running. And by the way, I won. And he verse 5, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw, very important, and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away to their own homes. Very, very interesting. So they go into this tomb. They see not the evidence of a body being stolen, but actually it looks like the the linens are just there, like it was just like a body was sucked out of it. It wasn't just like all over the place, all these linens and stuff. Remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead, They had to unwrap his grave clothes but Jesus's grave clothes were just left there with the impression of a body and then the head coverings were folded in place and there's any evidence for parents to use to tell you to fold their clothes Jesus did as a side note. So they're perplexed how in the world does this happen and if someone's robbing the body why did not they take the most expensive part and sell that? And that's where John, it says, saw and he believed based on the fact that the tomb was empty. And although Peter didn't believe just yet, both of them were a little bit confused because they did not know the scriptures. They didn't, their head was not in the word. And the same thing is true for us. If we are not in the Bible daily, we're not going to know what to expect from God. We're going to be living our lives as Christians and not really be like aware of what we're supposed to really be looking for in life. But if your head is in the book, if your head is in the Bible and you're allowing your mind to be saturated with the word of God, then on a daily basis you can expect a range of things. As 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 verse 16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly thoroughly equipped for every good work. What that's saying here is a couple things. First of all, scripture is God-breathed. That is the literal meaning of that word inspiration. God-breathed. It's his own breath into the scriptures. So when you're reading it, it's not just words on a page, but this is God speaking to you. Now, if you had the voice of God actually speaking to you tonight, and I, like, let's just say God sent me a text message. It was like, Alan, let them know. I'm going to talk to them in about five minutes. What would you expect? What would you be doing? Would you be intent? Would you be listening very carefully? Would you be, like, ready? Would you have a notepad out? Would you have a pen out, write it, jot down, whatever he's going to say? Most likely, you would want to remember it, right? But sometimes you come to a Bible study and are like, well, I know, like, I know this is the word of God, but, like, the pastor's boring. And the pastor's boring, and, you know, I just, he's not going to say anything that I don't already know. But listen, it's the Bible that is God-breathed, not the pastor. We're just voices. We're just messengers carrying the word of God. Our job is to bring attention to the word. And if we get in the way, you know, that's a shame. But we're here only to just give out the word. And if a a pastor is boring, then just listen more intently to the word of God. If the pastor isn't the most exciting person, if I'm boring, if I'm not exciting, forget about me. The whole point of coming to the word of God is to hear from God, not to hear from me. So if God was speaking to you and I'm going to speak to you audibly, you'd probably write it down. Why not if he was writing a letter to you, which is what the scriptures are. We should come to God's word every single morning, every single day, every time that we're in youth group or we're on a church on a Sunday or whenever, and we should have the expectation that God will speak to us. And if God speaks to us, we can expect a couple things, and this is what he says, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You should be expecting that there are times that you're going to read your Bible and you're going to be corrected. Ugh, I don't like that. Oh, I, I know that. I remember listening to a Bible study years ago. And I remember I was like, that's probably a message for someone else. You ever seen, like a Bible study and you're like, oh, I know who needs to hear this, but I'm getting the tape. I'm getting the cassette tape, the DVD. I'm going to make sure that that person hears it. Like, I guess you don't use DVDs anymore. You get the link or you send it to your friend or whatever. And you're like, make sure you take notes on this one, pal. This one is about gossip. But do you ever think that maybe God is speaking to you and wants to correct your heart first? Years ago, I was listening to a message and I was just like this is a message for someone else. And then it was a and I remember him saying something about like idols and whatever like make sure you don't have idols in your life because they'll take the place of God and even the things important to you they aren't they aren't like bad things they're just not the things of God it's not God himself even your good things can become bad things if they keep you from the best thing which is God. So I was like, yeah, that's a message for someone else. You know, music isn't my idol because I'm like, I'm good. And he said, one of the keys to determine what your idol is is what happens when it's taken away. Are you devastated? Now, I didn't hear that part until about two days later. I remember driving in the car with my friend. And I was saying, you know, I, if God told me not to do music, I think I'd be okay. I, just, I think I'd be like kind of devastated though. And I listened to this message and he says those exact words. You will be devastated I was like, oh no, oh no, I think I have an idol. And I was really concerned. And that's what the word of God does. Sometimes He'll speak to you and tell you things you just don't want to hear. Lord, should I break up with this person? Don't say anything. And then you hear you read that verse. It says, Do not be unequally yoked. And you're like, oh no, I don't have a yoke. <laughs> I don't know you should listen to the word of God. It's also good, I just got a text message. It's also good for instruction and righteousness. If you need to know the way to go, just listen to the voice of God and he'll tell you so. And this is so that you can be complete, thoroughly equipped so that you can perform every single good work that God wants you to do. Should you not expect that when you come to a Bible study, you will leave equipped. You'll be Ready? You'll have the full armor of God so you can fight down whatever principalities, powers, demons, whatever. It does not matter because you have the sword of the spirit to pierce through bone, marrow, whatever. It does not matter because if God is with you, who can be against you? We should come with expectation. And some of us read our Bible kind of like we read those choking directions when like, uh, heimlich maneuver directions when you're at a restaurant. And it's kind of like you don't read it. Until something bad happens. Like, yeah, we all see those signs at the restaurant. No one actually reads it. And if you think about it, if you're reading it, when someone's choking, it's already too late. If you don't know how to perform the Heimlich maneuver when someone's dying, you're in trouble. You Imagine someone's choking, you're like, wait, I know where the diagram is. I'll be right back. And you go read the choking, the Heimlich maneuver directions, you come back, and like the person's dead. It's too late now. And some of us, Use the word of God in that same way. As soon as I encounter a difficulty, then I'll start reading. As soon as I encounter suffering, that's when I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm really going to get it right now because I, I I know that this is going bad and I need Jesus. Well, why don't we become prepared, equipped, so that when we encounter any difficulty, we're already ready. We're already there. We're ready to go. The other thing that we should expect is... That Jesus is coming back soon. Not only should we expect correction, reproof, instruction and righteousness. We should expect that Jesus is coming back soon from reading scripture. That's actually what it says in First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 5 if you want to jot that, jot that down. Where Paul says concerning the times and seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. What's he saying here? he says i don't even have to write to you about the day of the lord because like you guys know right you know jesus can come back anytime you know he can come back like a thief in the night i always kind of thought it was kind of strange that jesus is compared to a thief but the reason they do that is because a thief comes in unexpectedly none of you will ever have your house robbed with a person texting you first or calling you 1st and like hey are you home right now because i'm gonna go rob your house is that okay Someone stalks you on Facebook and messages you like, I just want to let you know, I just, I just thought it's common courtesy. Before I rob your house, I'd let you know I'm going to come and rob your house. So what he's saying here is Jesus is going to come back and you're not going to be ready unless you are a Christian. So what he's implying here is all Christians should not be overtaken as a thief. You're not of the darkness, you're of the light. So when you see this beaming guy of light start to come down, you'll be like, oh, here he is. This makes sense. But if you're in darkness, you're shrouded in darkness, you're not going to know when Jesus is coming back. It's going to surprise you. It's going to shock you. But if we are expecting Jesus to come back on a regular basis, that means we're going to live our lives very differently. We're going to be watching. We're going to be sober, vigilant, making sure that we're making the most of our time. I mean, think about the way that this would transform your life. If you're really expecting Jesus to come back at any time. Would you really waste your time on Facebook? Would you really waste your time on Instagram? Scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I didn't see yesterday's. Would you really waste all your time doing that? No, because you need to make sure you're redeeming the time for the days are evil. To conduct the rest of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions, your fa- uh, traditions from your father, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Which means you're going to conduct yourself in a very different way than, than the world. The world doesn't care. They eat, they drink, they do whatever they, they, they want to do. But we as Christians, we're going to be very, very uh, mindful of the time that we're wasting spending on useless things. And limiting that time so that we can be about godly things. So when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be while you're at a party smoking dope or whatever. Like, oh, hello, Jesus. I'm just smoking. But you're me ready. It's like, it's not going to be a shock to you. And listen, this is actually a test to see if you're mindful of the things of heaven. Or if your mind is on the things of earth. When Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on the earth, how do you know that? Well, would the day of, of the Lord shock you, surprise you, come unexpectedly as a thief in the night? If it does, that means you're not thinking about things of heaven. Because if you're thinking of things of heaven all the time, when Jesus comes back, it's like, yeah, I knew you were going to come back. I was just reading my devotion today about you coming back. You're expecting it. him to return. Unlike the disciples when they just figured when he died I guess that's it I guess we got to go home and just cry or something look at verse 11 but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept she stooped down and look, looked 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 into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain then they said to her woman Why are you weeping? What a weird question. You're at a cemetery, and someone comes up to you and like, why are you crying? (laughs) Like, uh, excuse me, we're at a graveyard, and people cry at graveyards. Actually, this is something I would probably say, stop your crying. Maybe something Andy Dean would say. I remember back in the day, Andy Dean, like, back when one of our youth leaders had a baby and brought the baby, the baby would cry, and Andy would be like, someone shut that baby up. And one time he took the baby and... (laughs) hover the baby over the garbage can. I should not put this on the website recording. Anyway, the parents knew, which doesn't help. Anyway, she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid, laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and, what, did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" Now, this isn't Jesus being offensive. He's using this honorific. He's addressing the woman in a very polite way. Asks, "Whom are you seeking?" It's more like, "Mary, listen. I'm right here in front of you. Why are you crying about my death when I'm talking to you right now?" She's supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, "Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. All right, a couple of things. So here Jesus is speaking to Mary and Mary does not even realize that she's talking to Jesus. How many times do we find ourselves in that same spot? If God was speaking to you right now, would you know? Can you discern his voice? Would you know if God is speaking to your heart right now? I think about 1 Kings chapter 19 when Elijah was crying, running away after the battle of Mount Carmel and he goes into that cave and says, I'm the only one left. No one cares. I'm the only righteous man alive. And then God speaks to him, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the whirlwind, but in the still small voice. If God is speaking to you in the still small voice are you removing enough distractions to listen or are your tears getting in the way can you look at Jesus in the midst of suffering is the question in the midst of a trial because that's what distracted Mary we can imagine she's just so just she's just such a mess weeping crying that she can't even see what's in front of her pay attention to this everyone look up here We cannot let our trials and our suffering get in the way of us seeing Jesus. Not saying that it's not okay to cry, but we can't stay there because we might be missing out on the presence of the Lord right in front of us, on that still small voice wanting to speak to us. How many of us When we're in a time of suffering, sorrow, we don't want to listen to anybody. We want to turn on our music. We want to watch a movie where we'll cry and we'll, you know, we can tune out the world. But what God really wants us to do is to tune out that junk so we can listen clearly to the voice of God. Are you waiting and weeping? Are you standing at the tomb waiting for God to speak to you? Or have you already gone home and given up and lost hope and you just... You don't you don't even think about it anymore. When you bring yourselves into a place, I mean, listen, trials are hard. Suffering is hard. You may have a hardship that is that is perfectly justifying your weeping and your sorrow. But God doesn't want you to stay there. If you have someone sick in your family, that's a, a justifiable reason to be sad. If you have... Listen, it may even be something that other people think is dumb and stupid, like really you're crying about that guy again, but to you it's the biggest deal in the world. Jesus isn't saying, stop that, you're weird. Jesus is saying, listen, it may be that you you can cry for a season, that's fine, but maybe your sorrow and your tears may get in the way of you being able to see Jesus. We need to be very careful that we're not letting that get in the way. And so, when Jesus finally reveals himself to Mary, he says, Mary, and Mary realizes, it says, Jesus says, don't cling to me because I haven't ascended yet to heaven. What he means is, and what he describes here is, that Mary is just so shocked, so excited that she literally just grabs right onto Jesus. You can imagine the emotion that was going through her as she had totally lost her mind, totally been in despair and in sorrow that she thought the Savior of the world had been gone. But now she can cling to Jesus for a time, but he was going to send to heaven. But you and I, we can cling to Jesus for eternity because now that he is in heaven, he has sent his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit will never leave us nor forsake us. Are your eyes locked on Jesus and not on the trial? Are you like Peter who, when he was supposed to walk on water, Jesus says, come out to me and walk on the water. He took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. Or will you be a person that trusts even in, in like the absence of any real sense? You really feel like this is, does not make any sense to trust in the Lord, but I'm going to take a step of faith as Abraham did, walking by faith, not by sight. As Abraham went into the land he was called to go to, not knowing where he was going, maybe that's you. And you say, this doesn't really make any sense, but God may be calling me to take a step of faith, a leap in the dark towards the light. Look at verse 19. Then the same day, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to, to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus repeats twice, peace to you. And when, whenever in the Bible something is repeated twice, that means you're supposed to pay attention to it. And draw significance from it. That's just like, you know, a rule of hermeneutics, which is interpreting the Bible. And so the reason why he says it twice, some commentators believe, is actually for Jesus to fulfill what he said before he went to the cross. He says, my peace I leave with you and give to you, not as the world gives, but this world, this world can't give you this peace at last, but he was going to give a lasting peace. And by him saying this twice, it's almost reminding them, I said I was going to give you peace, and now I've accomplished peace on the cross so that you can have it forever. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. And so when he reveals himself to the disciples, it's interesting thinking about the resurrected body of Jesus because he was the first to inherit this glorified body. Not like this body that just like, you know, goes into the ground and we never see again. But actually when you die, you're going to be resurrected with uh, your old body transformed into a new body. Just like it talks about in Corinthians that you're your uh, physical body will be sewn into the ground and you'll reap a spiritual body it's kind of weird to think about but apparently this body can go through the linens that jesus was wrapped in can go through walls because the doors were shut because they were scared of the jews that the jewish people were going to come and persecute the christians right after like if they're going to kill jesus we're going to be next so they locked the doors they hid and jesus somehow slips in so this is weird what kind of body is this? Well, this gives us an idea of what our bodies are going to be like. But this is very unlike Lazarus' resurrection. Because Lazarus, if you remember, he resurrected, but he had to die again. But this is the resurrection that symbolizes what is yet to come. It's interesting to think about. But ultimately, what we need to know is that Jesus has been resurrected. Not just, not just fool people. Like, some people say, like, can we really know that Jesus died? Is it really possible that Jesus died? Well, if you think about it, (laughs) just think practically. If Jesus really didn't die, first of all, that means the Roman government isn't good at killing people. And number two, even if they just beat him to a bloody pulp and he just somehow survived, you think after three days he'd be able to convince anyone that he was still the Messiah? Just imagine this guy who barely escaped death, was beaten, was flogged, was hung on a cross, and he appears to his disciples. He's like, guys, I've re- resurrected. No one's going to believe him. They're going to think he barely survived now that he resurrected. So it's just interesting to note that. So he gives them the Holy Spirit and says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Retain the sins of any, they are retained. What does that mean? He's just saying you can, it was a passive, not an active work, where you can share the gospel with people And by sharing the gospel that's the work that does the forgiving by receiving the holy spirit you can multiply the ministry that jesus began we are ambassadors of christ going to people pleading with them to be reconciled to god you and i have that unique responsibility to go up to people that don't don't know jesus and share with them the good news that if jesus has been resurrected you too will not just die and go into the ground but you too can live eternal life if you believe in his name now what about people that doubt here is the famous passage in verse 24 now thomas called the twin one of the twelve was not with them when jesus came the other disciples therefore said to him we have seen the lord And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. A couple of things you need to know here. So doubting Thomas. A lot of us look at doubting Thomas and, and historically people have criticized him. Oh, Thomas wouldn't believe unless he saw. Jesus doesn't condemn him. All he says is, Listen. You believe because you see, but blessed, oh, how happy are those who believe and have not seen. It's not like we're not supposed to be ragging on Tom. It's like it's only because he he asked. And this is is an important thing. This is something that Pastor Lloyd shared on a Sunday a couple weeks ago. Doubt is not the difficulty. Doubt is not a bad thing. Doubting is actually belief in progress. By doubting, you're led to belief. And what's really interesting to me is that when Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see the signs, unless I see the thorns, or not the thorns, the the holes in his sides and, and whatever, that was eight days prior to Jesus showing up, which means Jesus knew his doubts even though Thomas wasn't vocal about them. Did you know that Jesus knows your doubts? If you feel... Like, this is all just a joke. And you're like, I don't really know if this is legit. You can pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus will meet you where you're at. If you have doubts, God isn't going to be like, well, it's just belief. What's wrong with you? Stop doubting. He answers your questions. This is exactly what he does to Doubting Thomas. He doesn't say, like, Just believe. Why are you you being so weird? He shows him the holes in his hands. He shows him the hole in his side. And listen, if you have doubts today, if you pray, Lord, reveal yourself to me. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. That's just the way that he answers our every need and every difficulty. So I don't think we should rag on Thomas, even though he didn't believe unless he saw. The key is not necessarily ragging on people that have doubts, I had so many doubts the only reason why I know anything about apologetics by the way the only reason why I know how to answer any bible question is just because I had those questions myself and I would ask people and they would ramble on and be like I don't think you answered my question and I was always afraid that someone wouldn't be able to answer my question so I always had this lingering doubt that maybe this isn't true and maybe one day this is all going to be proven false That was my fear in high school, but then once I started to doubt, and I vocalized those doubts to my youth leaders, and they could answer it, then it gave me greater faith, more confidence, because I realized, like, okay, if the most popular, most intelligent atheist in the world can't answer this question, why would I think that my teacher at school would would have a better, well-thought-out question? Why would I think my friend who's 15 is going to think of a better question than Richard Dawkins? doesn't make sense to me so it gave me greater confidence and greater faith but blessed are those that just simply believe that's why jesus said i wish that you guys could be like children because for such as theirs the kingdom of heaven is made for such as these do not hinder them let them come to me why is that because children just believe childlike faith you tell them something like yep i believe it like I, i love joking around with little kids like one time i told this kid in the church that if he drank out of the water fountain, he would start speaking in Spanish. And so, I don't know why I do this, but it's, it's funny to me sometimes. So I was messing with him, and I drank the water. I started speaking in Spanish. He was like, oh, my gosh. And so he, he drinks the water, and he, like, looks around, and then he says, hello. He's like, it didn't work. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're speaking in Spanish. <laughs> I can't understand you. And he was, like, freaking I was like, "Oh!" And so he started, like, going up to other people and stuff. Now some people, I know it's messed up, some people look at children like that and say, well, they're so gullible. Christians, they're so gullible. They just simply believe things. Shouldn't you challenge things? Shouldn't? You? Well, yeah, maybe, but you know what? There's nothing wrong with, the, with, the, with just simply taking God at his word, and if you believe this to be true and just saying, God has revealed himself to me, praise God. Seek a deeper relationship with him. Blessed are those that believe, and do not See, have not seen and yet believe. Finally, it says in verse 30, and surely Jesus did many other signs of the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Here we have the entire reason why the book of John is written. He says there are a lot of other signs and whatever. This is written that you may believe. Because he knew in the future there would be many people like you and I that have not seen Jesus physically. But we can believe based on the word of God. Based everything on what he has written for us. And I'm thankful for that. And that's why this book is good to hand out to people as a tract. Because it leads people... To the very person of Jesus, like no other book. This the entire purpose is to prove that Jesus is God. But listen, some of us put our faith in signs, some of us put our faith in our expectations. For those of you that go to CCS, I was talking about that the past two days. We can't put our faith in expectations and expected result and say, Lord, if you don't answer in this way, I'm not gonna believe. We gotta put our faith in a person, not in expected results, because what we're doing is putting God in a box. And saying, God, if, if God is really loving, He would act in this way. He would answer my prayer. He would heal the sick person. He would do that. But maybe God's ways are better than your ways. And if you would trust the person, you would realize that He has a better plan than what you can think of in your finite mind. So, all that to say, as we go into the next year, we're closing out. You know, I know it's only the end of September, but to me, I think. You know, I just, I like to think in terms of what is the mission? What is our vision? Where are we going as a church? What is God calling us to do? Every single morning, you know, even the mornings I'm not faithful to really just set my mind on God, I still, I'm still asking like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, help. This morning, oh my gosh, I was supposed to teach at CCS at 840. I woke up at 820. I live about five, ten minutes away from church. So I'm like, no. I had this plan. I was like, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to sit before the Lord and pray and be ready to deliver this message. And I'm going to just meditate on the Lord and his goodness. And I woke up because my alarm didn't go off. And I'm like, no, everything is not awesome. Everything stinks. And then I'm like feeling guilty that I feel this way because you're about to preach a message in, in 10 minutes. And so if you don't become happy, everyone's going to see how frustrated you are. So now I'm critical about myself and upset that I'm critical about myself, and I'm as I'm I'm just talking to myself out loud as I'm, I'm like waking up. You've got to visualize this. I'm like, I'm like, oh no, oh no. Why am I? am like out the door talking to myself, driving, frustrated, still half asleep. Like can't look asleep, you know. And then I'm thinking about like when you answer the phone when you're like tired and like, well, people think of like that I just woke up. If I, I look like I'm tired and my voice sounds like this, so I'm thinking all this. I get, you know, I get to the school. The whole way I'm like, Lord help, Lord help, Lord help. So like five things are happening in my mind. It's pretty amazing. And then I'm thinking about this. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I can think about five things at the same time. (laughs) So this is the mind of Alan, the frustration of Alan. So I get to church and I preach the word of God. And I realize at the end of the day, if people don't like it, at least I was faithful to preach it. My calling is not to make everyone love me, and it's not even to make everyone love Jesus. It's just to be faithful with the task he's given me. And so the same is for you. Our task is not to take what has been written here and convince people and to change people. Jesus does the changing. Jesus does the resurrection. Jesus does the healing. Our job is just to give that message. And this fall, that's what I'm hoping we're doing as we just make a commitment to just be here and to learn and to be discipled by the Lord and by his word. That we believe that everything pertaining to life and godliness is contained in this book. And as you read it, that is how you can have life in his name. As you make a commitment to do that, just see what God will do. Let's pray. Father.